Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, and Orvis Fly Fishing. A while back, Captain Benny Blanco and I decided to participate in the inaugural Calford Redfish Tournament located in Jacksonville, Florida. As we talked more with the people involved and we got closer to the event, we realized that this was a great opportunity to pair his television show, Guiding Flow, with this podcast. We recorded this podcast live as a private event connected to the tournament, where supporters and friends could sit in on a conversation between Rami Ashori, a local guide, Lisa Renneman of the St. John's Riverkeeper, Benny Blanco, and myself. In this podcast, we get a chance to hear more about St. John Riverkeeper's work, how to engage the young in the outdoors, the challenge of navigating conservation and politics, tips on avoiding burnout on conservation, and more. I had a great time participating in this event, and it was incredible to see local anglers from across the area come together for this cause. Make sure to check out Benny and I's episode of GuideFlow, available now on Waypoint TV. I hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And then it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Out? So look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Well, hey guys, thanks for being a part of the podcast tonight. I'm excited to be able to sit down for our first ever roundtable discussion. We're recording live at the eve of the Calford Flood Tide Tournament, which is um, which is a really great event that's brought a lot of good people together, good captains and companies and industries. Um, before we get into our roundtable discussion, I just want to give everybody the opportunity to give an introduction. So Rami, we'll start with you. Can you just share who you are and, and why you're sitting here today? Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Hunter. My name is Rami Ashuri. I'm with Satariba Company. Um, I'm an attorney here in town. I'm also a, a captain and a guide here in town. Um, and I put the Calford Redfish Tournament together to highlight our estuary and also highlight some of the issues with our estuary. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to show people that we have a fantastic fishery, but that fishery, it may not last forever if we're not good stewards of that fishery. So the Calford Redfish Tournament serves to highlight the history of the St. Johns River and um, bring people together for a great cause, the St. John's Riverkeeper. Mm -hmm. Benny? I am Benny Blanco. I am a fishing guide in Everglades National Park and Biscayne National Park in South Florida. Um, I also am the host of Guiding Flow TV. And uh, the, the effort the Guiding Flow puts forth is to highlight fisheries very much like this one and to talk about the water issues, um, but more importantly, to connect the fishermen to the scientists. And um, that's a, a missing link we've, we've 
desperately needed for a long, long time. And um, the result of that happening over the last five years is all the progress you're seeing all over the state. And so uh, this was an opportunity that Lisa very much made happen um, where we could actually get to film the tournament at, at a time when we can highlight a fishery that most people are extremely interested in. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here to speak right now, but also to be able to film your tournament, Rami. So thank you very much for including us. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm, I'm Lisa Reineman. I'm the St. John's um, Riverkeeper and happy to be here with all of you. Um, we are not for not-for-profit organization. Our mission is to um, defend and to advocate for the protection of the St. John's. And it's all about connections. It's about getting together on the water like you all are tomorrow and looking at all of the amazing um, what our river offers. It is a hundred mile estuary. It's extremely unique. And so to have the ability to connect with everyone that's going to be out on the river fishing um, and talk about some of the issues, but most importantly, talk about what we can do together to save the St. John's and work to make sure we're protecting this great river for future generations. So happy to be here with you today. Yeah. And we're excited. We're going to have a lot of fun and really one of the common heartbeats that all of us share is conservation and not just uh, sharing good information, but continuing to learn important things happening across the state and across all of our nation's water. Could you just share with us the big picture message that you guys are trying to get across? Most definitely. So, you know, every single day we're working with people who love Florida waters. You know, most of the things that threaten the St. John's just aren't threatening the St. John's. They're threatening all of the waters we love across this state. And so we're working together, and it's really in two simple buckets. It's protecting um, the river's ability to protect itself. So making sure that the river's natural assets, the, the submerged grasses, the wetlands, all of those features that, by the way, provide great fish habitat, but they're the kidneys for the river. So protecting the river's ability to provide us this wonderful refuge, but then also stopping pollution at its source. We need to make sure we're keeping pollution out. It's so much cheaper to keep it out of our waterways. Um, than trying to take it out later. And so if we can protect the river's ability to provide wonderful habitat and wonderful areas and all those services the river provides and keep the pollution out, then we can you know, have opportunities like the fishing tournament to get out and enjoy these waters for many, many years to come. Yeah. Rami, could you give a little bit of an overview about what your fishery is like here in Jacksonville and kind of give us a description of, of kind of how you got up to the point of leading the, or this uh, tournament? Sure. So our fishery is mainly um, what I guess what scientists would call a Spartina estuary. Um, that's the it's technically the lower St. John's River, which is actually the northernmost part of the river, because the St. John's River technically flows backwards. It changes height at about an inch per mile, um, which is pretty significant, and it's it's one of the few rivers that flows backwards. So we refer to the the lower St. John's River estuary as the northernmost part of the estuary. And it is mainly a Spartina estuary. Spartina alterniflora is the main um, grass that grows in the estuary. We have big tide swings, you know, up to six feet um, during certain parts of the year. Um, you know, and historically, it's been a fine balance of fresh water and salt water mixing at the mouth of the estuary, um, creating the ideal conditions for Spartina, you know, a, a well-balanced ecological system with submerged aquatic vegetation, um, you know, a little bit of history, you know, within some of our parents' lifetimes, there was submerged aquatic vegetation downtown Jacksonville. 
that was so thick that it would break the surface of the water. And those were vital habitats for, for fish um, and forage that were starting to see disappear. And that's something I've learned over the maybe 15 or so years that I've started, you know, fishing here and been fishing in salt water. Um, you know, it's, it's a unique fishery. It is, uh, you know, the type of fishery that we have extends from Northern Florida about to Virginia, but the St. John's river is unique in, in so many ways. It's such a long river and the habitat is so unique. And, you know, we get to see redfish do things. You know, I have a client from Virginia, for example, that was coming down this weekend and he told me, I've never seen redfish do the things that they do in your estuary. Mm. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, we have opportunities to fish for redfish, speckled sea trout, flounder. Um, within a stone's throw, you could be fishing for tarpon. You could be fishing for giant jack creval. You could be fly fishing for sharks in the summertime. Um, but the red fishing and the sheepshead fishing and the flood tides is what, you know, what brings people here and what, what I want to show people. And, and that relies on the perfect blend of tides of weather, of, of water quality. And that's something that I want to see people continue to be able to fish for a long time to come. I think one of the things that happens with conservation is you can kind of think of it as there's kind of the ground warfare and then there's kind of the air warfare. The, <laughs> the people who are on the ground, like Lisa and Rami in this particular fishery who are trying to fight for local people right here in Duval County to understand this is the beautiful, beautiful estuary that you have. And then here's the responsibility you have as somebody who's here. But I think on the air level, we have people like Benny, and I'm excited to have you in this conversation, who are trying also just to raise awareness on a national scale about multiple, multiple issues that are going on across the state. I would love for, for each of you to share, what do you feel like is the biggest challenge that we are facing with getting more people involved and to join the fight? I'll go first if you don't mind. It's education. It's availability of education. It's it's making that education cool. Um, that's a big deal. You know, the, I think uh, the younger generations, uh, up until the last few years, it certainly wasn't cool to be up on conservation. To be a, considered a conservationist was conservation was a bad word. And um, we're changing that culture. Um, we're changing from a culture that, you know, looked to fill the cooler and was a take 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 culture to a culture that now considers the environment and considers our sustainability and um and it is makes it a, a situation a, a, an atmosphere to actually speak about these issues regularly and we only can do that by setting the right example mm. and that's why i created the show um, i wanted to a make it cool i wanted the culture to go to to just naturally change from that take, take, take culture to a culture where we were really considering our footprint, where we were starting to appreciate our wild places that are left because there are not many left. And, um, and I, I think we're on that right path. Um, mm -hmm. This tournament is a perfect example. I didn't know Rami before this tournament, but what he's done here is, is extraordinary. And I think it, I wanna believe it's a result of all of us speaking up and mm -hmm. making it a, you know, a, uh, an atmosphere where we can talk about these things. And, um, and that's, I think, the biggest thing that's missed over the last 30 years of, uh, is just general education and, and, and an atmosphere where you can talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've created. Lisa, what, what do you feel like is the biggest barrier that we have right now? 
I think one of the challenges is that there's a lack of connection. Um, I definitely agree, Benny, that about education, but also this lack of connection where people don't realize that we are all connected. You know, there is a, there is a spot in the headwaters of the St. John's that if the raindrop falls on one side of the ridge, it comes into the St. John's all the way up to the Atlantic Ocean. If it falls in the other side of the ridge, it goes down to the, through the Lake Okeechobee into the Everglades. And so we're all closely connected, these waterways are, and wherever we are, we have an impact. We can be a positive impact or a negative. And so if we really realize that these waters, whether it's in you know, your favorite fishing spot or yours or where I like to take my kids and go tubing or shrimping, you know, it's all connected and we can come together and use one voice, then I think we can really make a difference um, and make sure that these are protected, but also that we value what they offer and then make that connection through our neighborhoods. Because even right where we're sitting, you know, we're not sitting on the river, but if we put something down this drain, it's gonna have a negative impact on the river and it's gonna, you know, and it's just gonna add to these other areas. So if we can educate each other, empower each other with good information, but connect as people who care, but also that these waterways are connected, I think we'll make better solutions. Mm-hmm. So piggybacking on what Lisa said, you know, and what Benny said, I mean, I agree with both of them. Education and connection are, are major problems. And, you know, Hunter, where we're sitting tonight, we're not on the St. John's River proper, but we're within a half a dozen blocks of the St. John's River where we sit right now. And, <clears throat> you know, we for better or for worse, you know, we have tens of millions of people in the state of Florida, more people coming in every single day. And it's vitally important that we represent our state in not just terms of, golf courses or developments but show people the natural beauty of the state because that's where our real value is you know the every swamp i mean to to i mean i don't want to be cheesy but there's a, a mofra song you know when he's talking about every you know every alligator every blackwater swamp i mean those are the beautiful places that we need to connect everybody that lives in the state whether they were born and raised here or whether they're coming into the state for the first time and moving here you know we need to show them how beautiful it is and how much whether you're a hunter or you're an angler or you're a kayaker or you're a birder or whatever that is you know that if you put herbicide in your yard if i put herbicide in my yard right now it'll end up in the st john's river if i put fertilizer in my yard right now it's going to end up in the st john's river so i'm not expecting every single person to hunt and fish nor would it be feasible but what i do want is for the people that live here the people that are moving here to recognize that we're not just Disney, we're not just a gated community, we're not just a golf course, we're not just another place for another strip mall. You know, development needs to happen, I mean, of course, but, you know, we have to do it responsibly, Mm. and we have to consider the impact we have as an individual, as a community, you know, as a city, and as a state across the entire state. Mm -hmm. I think one of the challenges we have, too, is trying to we want to push people to learn about conservation and we want to push people to understand the problems that we have. At the same time, we don't want to hit them with a water hose or not a water hose, a a fire hydrant and just, you know, doom and gloom. Here's a hundred thousand pages of information. You need to learn and care about all of this. So I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on. How do we sequence or how do we make sure that we're, we're doing a good job of presenting this information to everyday people in a way that's attainable for them to understand and, and they can kind of have a starting point without feeling overwhelmed or totally doomed? Or should they feel like there's a, a sense of doom? 
Well, I, I think you know one of the, the best ways is to get them out on the water. You know, when you're having a discussion on a boat, and you know you're going to have a much, um, you know, you have the backdrop, and so that's one of our goals is to get many people, as many people out on the water as we can, both kids as well as adults, to have that conversation. But you do have to make it consumable. The you know one of our goals is to take very detailed science and put it into fact sheets and information that not only is easy to consume also has that connection what it means to them and what's the solution because you don't want to scare people away from the water you don't want them to think it's all gloom and doom there has to be a solution involved too and so it is one of the biggest challenges because every single issue we're working on there are you know stacks and stacks of documents that could help support a good solution mm -hmm. but how do you condense that down but I think one of the best things is getting out in the water and talking about it where you have that beautiful backdrop or if it's a, a blue-green algae bloom you know I hate to say it but when there's toxic green slime in the river that's when we get a most attuned audience because mm -hmm. all of a sudden they see the damage and they want to do something about it immediately so pictures and you know and making sure that there's information that leads them to a solution so they can be part of um, an army to make it happen. And, and I have a follow-up question on that. So a lot of times I think on, on this podcast, for sure, we think a lot about anglers. Mm -hmm. But we obviously, if we really want to have an effectiveness in this fight, we have to reach outside of just the fishing community and have to get everyday people in our communities involved. What have you found to be the most successful tool in doing that? You mentioned sharing photos or trying to get people out on the water to see the algae blooms. Are there other things that you could add to that? Um, you know, definitely we try to go wherever there's an audience. And so, you know, I, while I would love to drag everyone out on the boat with us on the water, you know, we make sure that we're showing up where people are talking, um, you know, and we're making, you know, going into classrooms, you know, one of, we have a full-time education program working with kids because not only are they the future stewards of this beautiful environment Florida has to offer, we also can connect to their parents. And so it gives us an avenue to some other, some other audiences. Also, so Social media is, you know, a wonderful tool and really when tapping in, you know, with COVID-19 and so many people using social media, we've really produced more videos and connecting people, taking them into the swamp, taking them into the springs and kind of take, introducing these waterways um, through video and through art and through different conversations and social media. So trying to figure out how to diversify and reach anyone we can with different tools, but ultimately trying to get them outside and getting them on the water. But if I could follow up your, you know, your comment, you know, for us as environmentalists, you know, that's something we have to go beyond the choir. We can't work only in our, our own, own communities because then we're going to think we're all doing the right things. We really need to work with more anglers. We need to work with more farmers. We need to work with people across the state who depend on clean water. And I think that's what's going to make a huge difference. I can add to that if you want. Yeah, I'd love to hear. So, um, you know, every every person who lives in the state of Florida is affected, is connected to water, one way or another. There's there's no way around it. Whether you are a, a mechanic in the center of the state or a fisherman on a, on, a, on a, one of our estuaries, you're connected to water in one way or another because our entire economy is driven by the tourism industry in the state of Florida. It's 130 billion, I think it was the last number. Over 120 million people come to the state of Florida for, t for tourism-based activities. Uh, the water is the baseline for that. Um, so what, when I, to be effective in speaking to people and getting them educated and, and, and igniting their, their inner stewardship, 
um, you have to you have to know the target audience. And so, I wouldn't go to my church and speak about that we've got to save fishing. Mm-hmm. They, that would never work, right? But but if I went there and I talked to them about saving the aquifer and how important that is to their everyday life, that affects them. Um, if I go to Tallahassee and I'm speaking to a politician, then I'm telling them that the the, tour, the fishing industry is it's $24 billion annually uh, mm-hmm. an economic driver for the state of Florida. And it's part of that $130 billion in tourism. And that's the impact saving that affects them. Um, it affects them in a lot of ways. And, and when I come to a fishing tournament, I'm not going to talk about the aquifer or that that dollar i'm going to talk about the fishing and how we have to take care of it mm. i think in the state of florida we have to understand that it affects everyone differently and understand and understand why it affects that particular person and if you do that then you're not overwhelming them you're you're giving them reason to get involved and reason to look for themselves and they'll find their own way to get involved and, and that's happening all over the state look at rami um look at me i mean i five years ago i was just a guy in the everglades i didn't knew nothing about what was going on with the water and then it affected my water Mm-hmm. And, and I became activated and angry. And, and the more I became educated about what was going on because it affected me in my impact statement, uh, the more I became involved. And here I am today with the TV show and I'm traveling all over the place trying to educate and empower stewardship. And, um, you know, every one of us has a different voice, but it starts with that impact statement. Mm-hmm. And you guys have both mentioned the connectedness and the importance of helping people understand that. And that kind of leads me well into, I think, a big kind of elephant in the room around this issue is we live in a time where there's a lot of divisiveness and there's a lot of political divisiveness. There's just, uh, we could go on and on and on and list all of those different things. But yet here's people from a lot of different backgrounds, different regions, someone with a TV show, a guide, someone with a local environmental agency, someone with a podcast coming together to talk. There's a sense in which these issues can really pull people together across a lot of different lines and life phases and, and stages. Um, but also we live in a time where, you know, we, we have a lot of political divisiveness and there's not a single political party that owns caring about the environment, you know, and I think that sometimes that gets mixed up. I'd love to hear just we're, we're heading into an election. I mean, it's, it's a very political year. How do we help people understand that this is an issue that doesn't belong to any one group, but it actually is all of our issues and it could be something that pulls us together? That's a tough question, um, and anybody can answer, but I, uh, it's tough because every localized community is different, hmm. um, and you're 100% right. There is no party that owns the environmental side. I mean, there's part of the, both parties claim to do so, but um, I tell people all, everywhere I go to, to vote water. I mean, it's really simple. With it. And, and, and it goes back to... I. I take politicians out all the time because I, like Lisa said, you get them on the water and the conversation changes hmm. and they cannot be unimpacted. Once they're impacted, they're, that's it. You have them. And I take them on in the glades all the time. I, I recently had uh, Carlos Jimenez, who was the, the, he's the mayor of Day County. He's running for Congress and he wanted to know more about the Everglades and he wanted me to come to his office. And I told him, nope, he can come to my office. And I took him on the water and he was immediately impacted. But he made a statement at the beginning of the day and I let him, linger on it all day long the statement was we should we can invest in the environment but only after the economy is good and i let him and i and I, I gave him you know impact statements throughout the day and at the end of the day i said i'm gonna i'm gonna agree to disagree with you because if you invest in the environment you are investing in the economy in the state mm-hmm. of florida you can't invest in the economy and then invest in the environment it doesn't work that way that's why we're in the problem we are in today 
the environment in the state of Florida has to come first. And that hit him, and he, when he went home, he thought about it for a week, and then a week later he called me. And it was the combination of being on the water and understanding that it's not a political part, political issue. It is, it is a state of Florida issue. And if we want to have a state to live in 25 years from now, we have to start investing in the environment. And it hit him perfectly. And so um, when I tell when people ask me, who should I vote for? I just tell them vote for water. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's pretty simple. If you really pay attention to what the politicians are saying and you ask the right questions, it's very clear who is going to be the one who's, who's going to fight for the water going forward. Mm-hmm. I think something Lisa said earlier about trying to take information and translate that into a way where people can hold it and see it themselves and think through issues. I think that is a big challenge we have, especially with voting and politics at a more local level. Um, It's easy to look at the, the really high up level and miss some of the things that you actually could have great impact on in your own backyard. Um, Lisa, I'd love just, what is some advice you could give people on how do we how do we translate information and kind of synthesize it down from big kind of more abstract things to the everyday person and try to make it compelling and easy for them to read and understand? Um, it, it is one of the most challenging things we do, but it, it's make it personal and back to pictures. You know, we have um, we have a river friendly pledge that we have a kids mm-hmm. version and we have an adult version. That's simple things that you can do every day in your backyard, like you were talking about. You know, you don't want to put excess fertilizer if you can use native plants. All these simple things that won't add to the problem. Um, but, but it's using those very simple concepts, personalizing, using photos, but then we have to tie it to policy too, because, you know, we all can do exactly the right thing. Mm-hmm. If we're, if we don't have protective policies in place, then it's not going to get us where we need to, to really protect Florida waters. And so that's good where it gets a little bit difficult because we, once we distill it and make it interesting and bring people in and see where they can genuinely make a difference, um, you don't want to be, um, accused of cherry picking, you know, your information, you know, you have to be very careful that you have, even though you may have a two page um, version of why it's so important to use native plants, you want to show, make sure that that's backed up by the detailed science that you can provide people references to. And so it's an ongoing issue, um, but but then making back to the connections part and back to the, the, pol- the politics side of it, you know, all of Florida's economy depends on clean water from agriculture to tourism to development, but so does our health, our mental health. And so, you know, figuring out different ways to connect if people aren't naturally wanting to go out and get outside, you know, now they're seeing there's science showing if you take a walk around the block and just look at water, your health is improved. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out different value systems that you can tap into and then provide that information that's distilled in a way that people can use it. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're doing this, we're sitting down, we're talking about conservation, and I think there's a lot of people who are going to look at this and they're going to be excited. They're going to go, yes, more conversation about conservation. I think there's also people who are going to look at this and they're going to just be like, another thing about conservation. I'm so tired of hearing about conservation. Or maybe they've just lost hope and said, Mm -hmm. I've just lost hope in it all. I I would love to hear y'all's thoughts. How do we help somebody who's maybe disinterested or burned out kind of catch that fire again or catch that fire for the first time about conservation if y'all don't mind i'll speak to that so i mean personally me you know we're doing this live roundtable podcast and i've got a five-month-old daughter that my wife is holding behind me right now and you know for me personally 
you know, it's so easy to lose hope and, and we don't want that to happen. And you, the way that you can get that fire back is you got to envision yourself, whether you're in your twenties or your thirties or your forties or even later in life. But you know, I'm 33 and I envision myself sitting down, you know, at my home as a 65 year old and thinking about what is it going to be like? What, what is it going to be like when my daughter is my age? You know, what's the estuary going to look like? What's the river going to look like? What's the state going to look like? You know, and going back to what Benny's saying, you know, I love to go to the Everglades. I love to go to the West Coast. I love to go to the Forgotten Coast. I mean, I travel all around the state fishing. And I pray that when my daughter's my age, that she'll have the opportunity to see the things that I saw. And to get that fire back, all you got to do is sit and think about what's it going to look like in 30 years or 40 years? What's my daughter going to think? What's my son going to think? Are they going to think that I did enough? Are their kids going to think that we did enough? Did grandpa do enough when he was, when, when they had the opportunity? Mm-hmm. There you go. There's your motivation right there. Hmm. It's actually, I mean, it's, I, I use a very similar analogy. Uh, you know, I, I talk about it all the time. I, I don't want to have a conversation 15 years from now with my grandson about what we didn't do or how I, how loudly I didn't speak up or, you know, how many people I didn't take out on the water. And, um, we are finally in a year when lots of positive things are happening and there's a lot of hope. So if you need motivation and you're starting to lose hope, which happens, I, I take a break and I take a couple days off from doing what I'm doing. But, um, but if you need hope, just look around. There's so many positive things happening like this tournament. Like, I mean, if you need positive things, look at what's happening in the everybody's right now, a place that everyone lost hope for. Mm -hmm. Um, look what's happening in the St. John's governing board right now. I mean, it's hope for the first time in a long time. So there's positive things happening everywhere. It's easy It's easy to become, you know, stuck in it. But I think the people who speak up, you, us, um, I think we have to stay consistent. And we can't ever show any signs of losing that hope because mm-hmm. there's so many people all over the state that look to us for that hope. And so I just stay consistent. I, I, I at every opportunity, I say yes. I made that pact with myself actually five years ago when, when all my issues happened in the glades that I would just say yes. Mm-hmm. And it's led me to uh, an unbelievable relationship with Captain Cleanwater. I've been to Tallahassee and DC more times than I ever care to go to. I've, uh, I've had great relationships with Everglades Foundation and BTT and Bull Sugar, and et cetera, you name it up and down the board because I just say yes. And as a result of that, we're seeing positive changes everywhere. And so consistency is important at, 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 the, at the leading edge of the fight but I, but I think, um, you know, uh, because we're consistent, we're giving hope to the rest. Mm. I think that's super important. Another thing I would recommend, and it's kind of piggybacking on what you both said, is looking at our waters through kids' eyes. Mm. Um, we take kids out on big group trips, like fifth graders and second graders. And I always tell people, just go out on one boat trip with a bunch of kids that have never been on the St. John's before. And when they see dolphins or they see a manatee, and it, just to see the waters as they are, you know, they may not be perfect, we have work to do. But to see, if you want some hope, you'll see it through their eyes. Mm-hmm. You'll go to Silver Springs and ride a glass bottom boat with kids that have never been on it before. But really um, getting, if you need to get reinvigorated and energized, you know, seeing it through their eyes, that innocence of what it is, but then it just motivates you to want to protect it so they can show that same and have that experience with their children and their grandchildren. And I, I love environments where you're taking kids who are discovering a lot of this for mm-hmm. the first time, and then you have 
people who are older who maybe have been disenchanted or maybe grown numb to some of the beauty of it and you're mixing those two people together and it kind of the maturity of the older people helps the kids continue to grow but the excitement of the kids I love the way you put it through a child's eyes my my daughter I was talking to a few people tonight my daughter uh, got a chance to be a part of Marine Discovery Center's summer camp um, in New Smyrna Beach and she had a she had a blast at it and I remember one day after hanging out at the camp and they're doing the camp we were walking on the beach and I stepped on some seaweed and she goes that stop 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 and she wanted she was emphatic that I stop and she wanted to explain to me that I was you know hurting potential crabs or things that might be in that and she had so much passion and so much intrigue about it. And I think that's something all of us want to see, whether it's somebody who's guiding and taking somebody out to the fishery for the first time, or somebody who is maybe at home on a Saturday morning watching a show or maybe a group of fifth graders. And that's what pulls us together is trying to, is trying to keep people excited about conservation and to see the water better than we found it. Um, I would love one of the the fears that I have is with everything going on that this conversation gets placed on the back burner. Um, There are certainly a lot of important conversations that need to happen in our world today, but it doesn't mean that we have to stop this one in order to move others forward. How how do we try to use, and I want us to think through this at all of our levels, whether you're a fishing guide, whether you're uh, a mom who's just passionate about the water, your dad who's trying to teach their kids you know about the water whatever how do we all try to work together to keep this from sliding to the back burner of the conversation it's simple uh you know uh, coming out of a a pandemic or a political a crazy political atmosphere you your economy has to be strong and our water is our economy Mm -hmm. and so uh, from the beginning of the pandemic i'm talking to everyone i talk to it just the the level of importance of uh, the cleanliness of our water, the quality of our environment in the state of Florida just became uh, proportionally larger because if our water quality was continuing to go down when we had these, we're going through these issues and, and potentially, you know, having a major crisis economically in this country, we, if we didn't have our environment to fall back on in Florida, we have nothing. Hmm. So it just became exponentially more important. Um, and I've, t- I've been telling that people that from the, from the beginning and, and as a result, uh, not of that conversation, but of the of the pandemic, more people are going outdoors right now. More people are buying mm-hmm. boats and going on the water, and and more people are becoming uh, stewards. I mean, because they for the maybe for the first time are experiencing Everglades National Park or Biscay National Park or St. John's River, and they've fallen in love with something that ordinarily they wouldn't have gone to. You know, they can't go to the bowling alley, or they can't go to a baseball game, and so all of a sudden, you know, going on the boat is everything to them, mm-hmm. and so the quality of our water, the cleanliness of our water, and the, and, and the health of our environment just became exponentially more important. Hmm. And, and I think it's all about access and making it accessible. I mean, there are people that are afraid to go out mm-hmm. on the water, you know, whether they just can't swim or they're afraid of pollution. And, you know, we are very fortunate, especially in the St. John's River watershed, to have a lot of conservation land that's protecting the waterway, but it's also available to go hiking, to go out and just have a picnic and to be able to provide easy access where people can, you know, get their feet wet and just get, you know, get, you know, flirt with the river and get to know um, one of our waterways. I think having 
you know, ample access throughout our communities, um, throughout the state is really important for folks just to wander by and to be able to get to know our waterways. I think that will help make those connections so important. Um, and I think there's just the, the emotional value that everyone's seeking, you know, for um, having some sort of outlet. And I think that's what our waterways will give us if we provide easy access for all. Mm -hmm. One of the things too that I was kind of thinking about tonight is kind of a cool picture is we're earlier we're checking in at the captain's meeting and we're at this restaurant and you know I'm talking to a couple of people who are just wondering what are all these similar looking you know people with the boats doing here you know kind of intrigued because they're going to dinner and they're just seeing what's going on obviously there's an event there's something happening and then thinking about at the same time you know your organization is doing a lot of really cool interactive things to get you know people who aren't familiar with with the water on the water what are some exciting ideas that people who are listening saying you know what I actually want to try to help people have this access but what would you recommend Lisa on helping people try to promote access to, to waterways oh, that's a good question um yeah, well, one is just sharing access. You know, we, we invite people to have dock parties and invite new members, you know, and invite your friends and write your family where we can have conversations with that backdrop. Um, but working with local governments, you know, there's, there's local, you know, we're blessed. Uh, if you've been driving around in Jacksonville tonight, you saw a lot of different waterways and, and the government has to make that available. They have to be a partner. And, but, you know, there has to be those of us that are willing to, um, to say, you know, we need more access because they have to have that political backing, but then have access at both the local state level and, and we need more conservation land. You know, fortunately, we have a dedicated conservation land buying program um, through Florida Forever. And so we can continue to focus on conservation land for it to protect our waterways, but at, adding that additional component and that's what you know the water management district can do with us our state elected officials as well is really seeing the big picture and the value you know it's not just about being environmentally friendly this is about providing uh, really what makes florida great and that's the magic of our waterways but providing it to all citizens hmm. what do y'all think from the guide perspective of trying to get people out on the water in a responsible way that that gets them excited new people i mean for me personally, it's it's saying yes. I mean, not just from from a guide's perspective. I mean, you know, as as a guide, you're trying to make a living, or for me, candidly, part of my living, <clears throat> on the water. And you know, that's there's the economics of that to consider. But when your buddy that doesn't fish, that knows you, asks, "Hey, man, take me out. I I want to do that, I, or whatever. Let me just ride with you. Mm -hmm. Say yes. Is it work? Yeah, it's work." When somebody wants to fish that's never fished before, yeah, you got to help them learn how to tie lines and tie knots and bait hooks and whatever, but say yes. Because, you know, I, I can't tell you the countless number of people that I've taken, and they see a redfish tail for the first time, and their eyes light up, and it's like, whoa, that that's what you're doing out here? I, I thought you were just sitting there, like, you know, drinking beer in a hole, <laughs> you know? And it's like... They, they see that redfish tail for the first time, and they saw something special. I mean, they're seeing something that a fraction of the 8 billion people in the world have seen. Mm. And it, it grows an addiction, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, and not just fishing, really. I mean, hunting. I mean, your I had a buddy recently ask me, take me hunting. Absolutely. Let's go walk in a swamp. Let's go walk in a cypress swamp. And I'm going to show you 
the cypress swamp. And we're gonna look at these knees. And I'm gonna show you buck rubs, and we're gonna we're gonna go look around, and I'm gonna show you, you know, how these ferns grow. I mean, say yes. Mm -hmm. It's is it challenging? Yeah, it's challenging. Is it extra work for somebody that's experienced? Yeah. Do we want to take our buddy out that knows how to pull and can put us on some fish? Yeah, we want to do that. But just say yes. I think it's uh, that's a great point, and I agree 100%. But I, I think also we have this phenomenon in social media that we can reach millions of people pretty instantly. And uh, I'll use my platform regularly to the point where I, I'm, I'm guaranteed that I'm turning people off uh, and talking about the estuaries all around the state of Florida and and. There are the, the amazing things that you can see out there, and I share it as often as I can. And um, that hasn't been the most re well received. We talked about that today on the boat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the culture in the fishing industry, especially, is you know, don't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. to, you know, we don't want anybody coming out here. But but we're you know we're in a state, we're in a current situation in the state of Florida that we have to do the opposite of that. We, as fishermen, can't go f save our waters by ourselves. It's not just our water and we need everyone's help and so you're not going to get to that point where everyone's helping unless you're sharing it and so i use my social media platforms uh, i constantly trying to build them and and i'm constantly trying to educate and promote that use and access to all of those wild places because mm -hmm. i want to save them for my grandkids and and i can't do that alone mm -hmm. so i think sharing on social media is crucial well, w one of the times me and you were talking, Benny, and I was at the start of the podcast, and my desire for starting the podcast was really simple. I just wanted to learn, and I realized that this was an opportunity to sit down with people that I respected and I admired and hear their stories and get to know them and to learn from them. And very quickly, it became a conservation podcast in many ways. And Benny was one of the first people when I was early on to say, you have a conservation podcast. And I had never, you know, I, I don't think I'd ever really thought of it that way until we talked. I was projecting, and, and we were uh, we, and we were having a conversation um, in the hotel lobby at ICAST, um, and I had asked you. I said, "How do you stop from getting discouraged?" And you told me that you remind yourself of the wins. And I think that a lot of times when we're talking about conversation, we don't give enough time and we don't give enough energy and excitement towards the wins. So just kind of closing out our round table, you know, yes, there's things we want to fight for. Yes, we want people to be educated. Yes, we want people to be passionate. But there also has been some incredible things that we have seen happen. I'd love for you guys to just share how, what maybe what some wins that you are excited about and how can we do a better job of, of sharing those wins? You know, I, th I think one of the biggest ones that, that I would like to just talk about is the collaborations across the state and people coming together to stand up for clean water. I mean, I think that's what there seems to be a growing water ethic in our state that goes across the board. It goes across political parties. And the, the value of, of Florida's waters, I think, is something that's more celebrated um, in our state right now than I've seen in the last 15 years. And I'm very excited about that. And I think it's because not only are groups like ours coming across, you know, coming together and getting more strategically um, 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 organized, but also we're working with more people that just want to protect Florida's outdoors or wanting to protect what makes Florida great. So I'd like to really celebrate that those collaborations by building more and having more um, groups working together um, that come from different backgrounds and come together to love our waters. Um, we all come to it differently, but working together collectively. 
Uh, that's a difficult question for me. Uh, there's, I've been fortunate to be on the front lines for a long time, and there have been a lot of amazing wins. We're seeing them in the Everglades right now. But I think the one I'm most personally proud of is um, empowering a level of stewardship that requires industry involvement. And I'll explain that. You know, when I, when I first started fighting for Everglades restoration, there were one, two, maybe three companies in the industry that were using their platforms and educating and spending money to help us save the Everglades. Now, it's almost every single company. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I use the example of the products that are on my skiff that I use every single day, not just what I use on the show, because the companies who, who promote the show and have, have helped me make the show possible are absolutely on the front line and they deserve the absolute credit. Mm-hmm. But every single product that's on my skiff that my clients use every single day is made by a company that is actively supporting clean water efforts in the state of Florida. Mm. And, I, and I did that through empowering stewardship and enforcing that conversation with, these, with our industry. And um, I, I had that ability to do that personally, and so I, I made that a mission. And um, as a result of that, almost every single fishing show host at this point is using their platform to talk about something with water. Mm. And, um, and that's, the, that's what I'm most proud of. That's a win that I'm going to take with me for a long time. And I think that's going to have major effects going forward. Mm-hmm. And just to follow up on what Benny said and something we talked about earlier, I mean, the biggest win, <clears throat> at least in the, the hunting and angling sphere, is that it's become cool to be a conservationist. I mean, that's a, a massive win that the ethic and the culture of hunting and fishing has changed in, in probably my lifetime. Um, if not definitely in the generation previous to us lifetime that it's now it's cool to be a conservationist it's it's cool not to catch keep your limit of fish mm-hmm. it's cool not to you know kill everything that you see when you're out hunting i mean that's a huge win and people giving back to their to their respective environments i mean it's cool to understand that you can't just be an angler anymore that you have to do something you have Mm. to get involved um you know i mean we're sitting here at this table you know we're doing this this live roundtable podcast and i've got at least a half a dozen probably close to a dozen buddies that are all like-minded conservationists sitting all around us listening to this podcast and our culture and our ethic is one of conservation that is a an enormous win Mm -hmm. and when i think about that that makes me excited I think for me, you know, all of us have kids and I think about the opportunity that my kids have to experience learning about all of this. And there's just, there's so many great television programs. There's so many great, uh, summer camps and school programs. And I just think about the opportunity that she has to, to not be somebody who is 30 years old and then wakes up one day to realize all of this is happening and they have a lot to do, but to actually to see a generation, the next generation, our kids' generation, grow up and be able to sequence this and have, have a good scaffolding to build on. Um, and so I'm excited for that and all the companies to be a part. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. Any closing thoughts as we wrap up the podcast? I'm, I'm just grateful that you're using your platform to help us educate. Yeah, so that's super important, like, and you cannot, um, you cannot take that lightly. That's that's big. I mean, a, a, every opportunity we have to educate even one more person is super important. So for you, you using your platform tonight is, is special. And I thank you for that. Thanks.
Exactly. I just want to thank you all. I mean, this has been such a great night. I know tomorrow is going to be a fantastic day. And to be able to have this um, growing conversation, I just want to thank you all and appreciate the opportunity to talk about clean water and good fishing tonight. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you for having us, Hunter. And I, I really, truly want to say a thank you to, to Chris and Wendy Peterson. And I mean, this event could not have happened without them. I mean, they are dedicated to conservation like nobody in this state. And it, it goes without saying that their their dedication, I mean, their dedication is unrivaled in this state. And I just want to say thank you to them as well. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective. legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint tv don't miss primo's truth about hunting wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment don't miss mondays with into the blue brought to you by academy sports and outdoors every monday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment